the Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome back to another edition of the Conference USA Underdog Podcast here on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Another exciting week of college football in the books. Had some interesting games to go over, which is exactly what we do on this show. Uh, I'm Joe Londrigan, Western Kentucky, CUSA blogger over on UDD. Great to be back with you again. And as always, we have the very dependable, very apt FIU beat writer Eric Henry on the show with me. How you doing today, sir? Oh, man, I love that intro. Dependable, I, I, I can roll with that, man. I'm doing all right. Can't complain, Joe. <laughs> Good to hear. I'm just flying by the seat of my pants a little bit. Had a kind of a late night just due to whatever i have trouble sleeping sometimes and i had what i call a stew pickles moment late last night do you do you understand (laughs) (laughs) i can you understand the reference then i i i I certainly do get the reference you know it was what you know why am i making chocolate pudding at three in the morning because i've lost control of my life it was it was one of those moments (laughs) so but uh eventually got a little bit of sleep and we're here on a fine morning talking to the good people about conference usa football so it's a good day in my book. I have not heard a Stu Pickles reference in probably a dozen years, man. So that just goes, you know, Joe, you are you're full of range when it comes to uh, <laughs> <laughs> you got you got a little, you know, early uh, '90s Nickelodeon. You got a little college football, man. You know, you can you can handle it all. So no, pretty much just those two things. I can talk college football <laughs> and I can talk '90s Nickelodeon cartoons. Let's face it, that's my two areas of expertise. <laughs> and even some people on Twitter would argue that I don't even have that, but. We'll get into that, the usual part of the show where we complain about Twitter. For now, let's right. st- <laughs> let's let's just recap some football games. Uh, Louisiana Tech beat FIU, or FAU, I should say, 21-13 to over the weekend. Uh, Mr. Jalen Ferguson breaking the CUSA and Tech program record for career sacks in this one. He's now up to 38. A big accomplishment for the senior defensive end, and we congratulate him on that. Uh, That Tech defense forced two turnovers, which helped things along uh, for the Bulldogs to win this game. Uh, Devin Singletary on the other side had another solid game, but really had little help along that FAU offense. Meanwhile, uh, Jamar Smith and Jaquees Dancy, the one-two punch for Tech, looked solid once again, overcame a 10-point deficit in the first half to get the job done. And now FAU falls to 3-5, and and they now have to win three of their last four to get to a bowl game. Yeah, Joe, you know, normally just to bring you know our listeners in a little bit, normally on a CUSA weekend, of course, if it's a uh, home game for FIU, I'm usually, you know, making the drive down to Miami. Um, but they were on the road, so I had a chance to catch a couple games. This was one of them that I, that I caught um, without having to just check the highlights, got prepared for the podcast. And this one, Joe, the, the, the box score doesn't really tell the story, man. You know, there were two moments in this game that really decided it for Tech. As you know, the, the lane train is just careening straight into the Atlantic Ocean at this point. Uh, first off, and I don't know if you've ever seen this, FAU was called for two uniform violation penalties uh, on a punt. Uh, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, there got a little frog in my throat. Mm-hmm. Uh, on a punt, FAU had two number fives on the field. What makes this penalty so mind-boggling is the fact that the number five is that's Devin Singletary's number mm-hmm. um, that he also shares with a number with another player. Uh, Singletary's not normally on the punt return team. Why was he out there? Nobody knows. They would get the same penalty later again in the game. But I only bring that up is to say that just whatever can go wrong will go wrong for, for Lane Kiffin and his team this year. You know, uh, Chris Robinson, uh, he did not get the start. They went with Rafi Peavy. Um, and quite frankly, 
PV just looked overwhelmed all night long. I mean, he, he's a guy who, you know, he's not, you know, a, a true freshman. He's a guy who's had some experience and been in other programs, but he just looked like he wasn't ready for the moment to the point where Chisholm would turn back to Chris Robinson in the fourth quarter. Um, he clearly wasn't white, wasn't right coming off the ankle injury. Uh, the play that really decided, here's the second play that really decided the game, and if you're an Owl fan, this has to leave you scratching your head. FAU had forced a punt uh, inside of three minutes in the fourth quarter, and they were down eight, and they were looking to you know, potentially get a game-tying drive. Um, they forced a punt, and unfortunately, an FAU player leaped over the punt protector, which is now illegal. You cannot do that anymore in football, something you may have seen before in the past. Uh, that gives Tech the first down, game over. So, you know, for as much as I, I'd like to sit here and say that, you know, Tech played their best game, just went into Boca Raton and beat them. Uh, man, when you look at the, the things like time of possession, um, rushing yards, they ran for over 230 on the game. FAU really put themselves in position to win, but they really, you know, also put themselves out of position to win the game by having silly penalties. So it's just another frustrating loss for the Owl fans who have to be just scratching their head wondering how the lane train, you know, the season that started off so promising ended up at this point. It seems like that's been a common theme for FAU in terms of beating themselves and, you know, shooting themselves in the foot when they get themselves in position to win these games. Yeah, Joe, I mean, just it's one that, like I said, I had a chance to watch uh, the entire second half live. And it just was it was kind of and I'm not even, you know, I, I have no affiliation with FAU at all. But just as a fan, as a football fan, you know, it kind of hurts to see a team shoot themselves in the foot like that because. You saw, you know, how much potential this team had coming into the year. You know, all the high hopes, the New Year's Six, New Year's Six bowl game, and, and and all those things. And just from, I don't know, man. Just from the time they walked into Norman, uh, nothing's really gone right for this team. And and I don't know, you know, it, it's they're they're a bit of a young team, uh, you know, at key positions. And I, I don't know if that's hurting them. And but it, it's just it's been tough to see. You know, I kind of hope that they were able to get it back together and qualify for a bowl game. And obviously that task will become exponentially tougher as they have to travel to FIU and face the uh, East leading FIU Panthers. So we'll see what's left from this year. Like you mentioned, certainly a tall task for FAU to even make a bowl game at this point. And they're not the only ones in CUSA who are now up against that metaphorical wall with Southern Miss dropping a game to uh, Charlotte over the weekend, 20 to 17 play of the game here was a 79 yard pick six by Charlotte's Juwan Foggy. Really, a lack of execution was what killed USM in this one, like I mentioned, uh, despite significantly outgaining Charlotte at the end of the day. Uh, ben LeMay continues to impress for the 49ers at that running back spot. 89 yards on the ground in this one, and he's up to 745 yards on the season. And with that, he is third in the league behind Devin Singletary and Tyler King from Marshall. Um, you know, we would have laughed it off in the offseason, and I actually did bring it up a couple weeks ago on this show just purely playing devil's advocate but charlotte only need to win two more games to get into a bowl game and uh, that's certainly no easy task though with their schedule which we'll talk about later but uh southern miss three and four on the year after abraham throws three interceptions in this game and they're back uh you know like i mentioned they're in a very tough spot if they want to play postseason football now yeah, it is a, a disappointing loss for Southern Miss. You know, we've gone back and forth on this podcast about their quarterback situation, Jack Abraham, Quadra Griggs, et cetera. You know, I'm not going to flip-flop anymore. You know, I'm firmly in the Jack Abraham uh, camp. I think he is the future and the president. You know, he had a rough game against Charlotte. But, you know, this is a bit of a generic question, Joe, but at what point do we stop being shocked by Charlotte W's? You know, anytime <laughs> Charlotte has won a game this year, you know, I 
I feel comfortable speaking for the both of us here. We both have kind of been like, wow, well, how'd they do that? You know, the other team kind of gave the, gave the game away. Um, at this point, I think they deserve the credit of, you know, going out there and playing really good football. Um, you know, I've jokingly said, hey, you know, two wins, three wins, four wins, what's the, the mark for a Brad Lambert contract extension? Um, you know, we can have that debate another time, but I, I genuinely think this team is playing really good football, and we'll get into it later on with our preview for Tennessee. Uh, I don't think they're going to go into, into uh, Tennessee and just get, you know, steamrolled either. So uh, we'll talk about that a little later on. But as far as Southern Miss goes, you know, I, one of the things that I've kind of harped on all year is guys like Quez Watkins and, and Trevensky Mosley, you know, those are the guys who are supposed to, when you need a play, you know, when it's third and six, third and seven, third and eight, uh, those guys are supposed to step up and make plays. And another game, which uh, Quez Watkins had five for 35, I believe that's the second straight game in the row. I could be wrong um, where he had five catches for 35 yards, but you know, I, I guess a, a Charlotte defense, uh, you really want him to kind of take over the game at some point, whether it be uh, with a, a huge punt return, which you've seen out of him this year, or maybe you know a, a big time catch or a catch and run. You just want him to step up and make plays, and this just hasn't done on a consistent basis. So all in all, great win for the 49ers. Um, yeah, I mean, that's about what I've got on this one. And just you have to give all the credit to Charlotte. I'm at some point I'm not going to continue to come on this podcast and say that you know I'm shocked by a Charlotte W when they just keep handing out a. They keep winning games in, in, in ways that are pretty decisive. Considering the way the last couple of years have gone for Charlotte, I will still continue to be shocked when they manage to win games because, <laughs> let's face it, <laughs> the way that they have played in the last couple of years is not indicative of them being able to go to a bowl game this year. But I'll, I'll leave that be for right now. But one more thing on Southern Miss. We kind of talk about how this – particular game was a disappointing loss and it is but in terms of being three and four at this point of the year I mean is that much different than what we really expected out of this team just because sure the quarterback spot there's some talent there but I think based on you know what they lost in terms of skill positions at the end of last year uh, I mean this is more or less where I thought they'd be record wise I just think some of the games have been flip-flopped a little bit for me yeah, you know what, Joe? And as we were making that point, I was kind of, you know, racking my brain. And, and, and that's fair. I mean, I, I can only speak for me. I know Southern Miss kind of got my hopes up a little bit in the early part of the year because, like you said, you know, the games we thought that they'd, that they'd lose, uh, they've kind of won. The games maybe you thought they'd win, they've lost. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, man. I mean, I, I three and four, you know, is that kind of where we expect them to be? And, you know, if you flip-flop this one, they're four and three. I, I guess that's a fair point, you know, because if, if you take – if you, if you change the result of this one, four and three, you wouldn't be wholly shocked. I mean, I don't think anyone thought that they necessarily were going to be contenders in, in their division. So, yeah, it's a fair point. I can I, I, I can co-sign with that. At least they don't have to wear Russell Athletic uniforms anymore. So I think most of Southern Miss will take this year as a win, regardless of what happens. Sure. <laughs> Agreed there. <laughs> uh, we'll move on then to Middle Tennessee beating Old Dominion 51-17. to Certainly expected MTSU to win this game, but not to put up 51 points. Uh, so that's good for the Stockstill crew. Uh, nothing could really go right for Old Dominion in this one, which was best exemplified by the 100-yard pick six by Reed Blankenship, which was a sight to see. A little bit of a tip drill there. Uh, if you haven't seen that video, just search for it on Twitter or something. Um, but with that, Old Dominion is now officially eliminated from bowl contention. So uh, certainly not the way we thought this year would go for Old Dominion, as we've said many times on this show. 
Yeah, you know, it's it's when ODU loses, they lose handily in a way that's quite frankly just mystifying for a team that has that much talent. You know, I, I'll say it again: all the playmakers. When you go to Duhart, Fulgham, who had a huge game today, um, huge game Saturday. Um, you know, the quarterback position. You know, obviously Stephen Williams' his season didn't go as planned, but they have a guy in Blake Larusso showing that he can make plays. Um, you know, O'Shane Zimenez on defense. You just wonder how this team is getting beat so handily. But you know, give all the credit. Middle Tennessee State, as you mentioned, Reed Blankenship uh, had the tip drill in the pick six. You know, uh, he he had a heck of a game. Um, it, for ODU, you know, all their guys, you know, they put up big numbers, but it's just been in losing efforts all year long. And, and at some point, you, you kind of wonder. I, I don't want to start questioning Bobby Wilder because I think he's done a fair job with the program, but just you know, so much talent to have this kind of disappointing season is really is really frustrating. Um, you know, Terrell West. First 100-yard day on the ground for MTSU uh, as he had 120. Most of that came on a 71-yard scamper. So all in all, great win for Middle Tennessee State. They they really couldn't have afforded a slip-up against a disappointing Monarch team. No, and um, just on the note of Old Dominion once again, I believe it was uh, Harry Minium from the actual uh, ODU.com. Um, right. But uh, he had an interesting article the other day about uh, – Ocean Zimenez and just his attitude through um, Old Dominion's struggles this year. And it's really kind of admirable. You know, you talk about Old Dominion getting eliminated from bowl contention and he asked him what that means. And, you know, he's just said, you know, anytime I can kind of finish out this, finish out my football career with my brothers, my friends and go play football for a little bit longer, I'm taking it as a win. And I said it before, you really got to admire that attitude, honestly. Yeah, I mean, especially from a guy like him, who you know this isn't the end of the line for him. You know, he's not like this isn't you know the end of his football career. He's going to go into the pros and and you know make a lot of money and have a great career. We all think he's a really talented guy, so that, that is very admirable of him to say, hey, you know, anytime I can put on that uh, ODU uniform and go out there with my brothers, you know, he's enjoying it. So obviously, this season isn't going to end the way that he'd like it to. But yeah, that's that's really commendable of him to say that. Oh, for sure, for sure. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll see some big things out of him in the future. Um, and hopefully we'll see uh, this old Dominion football program figure things out eventually, even if it's not this year. Uh, one program who looks like they have as much as they can figured out right now is uh, North Texas. And they beat Rice 41 to 17 over the weekend. It was a big fourth quarter from UNT with 21 points in that time span. So Rice actually hung in this game for a hot second. But... You know, we saw 330 pass yards from Mason Fine, 145 receiving yards from Rico Busey, 130 rushing yards from DeAndre Torrey. So, in other words, the North Texas offense did North Texas offense things. And the Mean Green hanging tough at 7-2. and two. Yeah, I mean, you know, you kind of covered it from the UNT aspect. I'm going to, you know, take the Rice aspect because I, I saw them live a couple weeks ago down in Miami. And I just want to give them credit because they've hung tough for the second straight week for three quarters against a really good team. They did that in Miami against FIU and they were able to do that uh, against North Texas. But, you know, you got to credit the stars for UNT who pull away, as you mentioned, DeAndre Torre and Rico Buxi. Um, how about Rice's quarterback situation? You know, Wiley Green had a nice ball game, which was something I was keeping my eye on because he started for Evan Marshman, who put the Owls in position to win last week um, against, or two weeks ago against FIU, and the FIU pulled away in the fourth quarter. So now they've got a bit of a quarterback situation on their hands. You know, they had uh, the Vandy transfer and Sean Stankovich come in and, and, 
you know, he had a nice start to the year, but his plays really kind of faltered um, in, in the last few weeks that he was starting. And now Marshman, you know, had a great game on the ground versus the FIU with his legs. Wiley Green has a nice ball game as well. So that's a positive that I'm looking forward to see where Rice can go as far as their quarterback situation. Uh, good bounce back win for the Mean Green. But yeah, I just, you know, I'm very, very pleased with what I've seen out of Rice. Um, I heard Mike Bloomgren, I watched uh, part of his, his press conference last week where he said, yeah, you know, he's just really proud that his team is just hanging in there and fighting tough. And, and that's all That's all you really want to see from, you know, a situation like Rice that's really kind of rebuilding. You don't want to see them go in there and get blown out 50-0 to zero or 60-0 to zero or something embarrassing to where it looks like there's no hope for the future. So that's kind of my takeaway from it. But, you know, all in all, put the focus on North Texas that did get the win that they needed. So, Oh, for sure. Uh, with how – North Texas has played, um, and really even going all the way back to when Mike Bloomgren was hired, I have been under the impression that that program's heading in the right direction. I, if they were, you know, doing what Charlotte was doing, I would still be mildly surprised. But um, you know, overall, I think that program's doing what it needs to be doing to get back to you know, you know, being in contention for bowl games on a regular basis. But I think Bloomgren. Uh, I, he's done a great job. You know, he knows what kind of player that program needs. And I think eventually he's going to get him back there. Yeah. And that's, you know, we, we've talked about this in, in the early part of the year with, with UTEP, uh, as far as building an identity and something that they're still looking to do. Uh, I think Rice kind of has that. So I, I definitely like what I've heard and what I've seen out of Mike Bloomgren, uh, had a chance to see him down on the field in warmups. And, you know, he's, he's a really, uh, uh, coach is really in tune with his players and warmups. He's not hanging back. You know, he's talking to the guys, you know, being a little fiery, you know, trying to get them fired up. Uh, so yeah, you definitely got to like the, the direction that he has rice going in. And, and like I said, I think they've got a positive quarterback situation, which is always a good start with uh, Wiley green and Evan Marshall. For sure. And we kind of talk about how UTEP is still kind of trying to find their identity and we'll go ahead and transition then into, uh, their game from this past weekend where they lost to UAB 19-0. to uh, The Blazers are 7-1 and still very much in the driver's seat in CUSA West after that game. Uh, it was a rushing game all around as UAB turned in 265 rushing yards with uh, Spencer Brown doing it again with 103 yards and a touchdown. Neither passing offense looked very good at all, honestly, as the uh, leading receiver in this game had 23 receiving yards. So I had to rub my eyes a couple of times when I looked at that stat line. That's pretty crazy. Um, and note for UAB fans, we saw AJ Erdely suffer an injury in this game. Uh, I'm, it's, I'm blanking on what part of the body specifically it was to. Um, but as far as we know, he's a wait and see for this week. So something to keep an eye on if you're a Blazer fan. Yeah, I'm trying to uh, get that injury for you really quick because I remember seeing it as well, and I, I wasn't sure what it was. But, you know, for uh, for UTEP, as I sort of flip back my notes here, uh, this is a game that really set passing back about 75 years, right? You know, when you talk about the leading receiver having, you know, 20-something yards, that's something that, you know, you, in this day and age of high-scoring offenses and whatnot, you, that's not something you'd expect to see. But, you know, for Blazer fans, I'm sure they could give a darn less if they move to 7-1. and one. Um, Really quick before I get into UAB, are you ready for this? Because I'm going to officially take a position on UTEP's quarterback situation. All right. I like Kyle Oxley. I really do. I, I, I like the dynamic that he brings as a rusher, but I really think it should be an open competition for next year. Uh, my reason for that is this. While he provides a running threat, 
teams just don't buy him as a passer. And if you watched any part of that game, you saw that and you saw the effect that it has on the UTEP running game. So, you know, for, for Loxley, it's one thing to be, you know, inefficient or sporadic as a passer. It's one thing to where they don't even buy you as a threat and they're loading the box with seven, eight guys. You saw how that affected uh, a running back like Quadras Wadley, who I think is a capable runner, but he couldn't get anything going on Saturday. And that's not his fault. You know, it's the fact that teams just aren't buying UTEP's passing game uh, to, to, Give UAB credit. I want to make sure that it's on the record, knowing that you know they did the job of shutting down UTEP. It wasn't that UTEP is so inept, but it, going forward, if it's not you know Ryan Metz, um, they're going to have to get someone in there who can at least. If you're going to work a two quarterback system, I actually uh, would be a fan of that for UTEP because Loxley can come in, and if he's not, if he can't develop as a passer going forward next year, you just need someone who can bring that type of threat to at least keep the defense honest, but. All in all, the UAB run game is, in my opinion, enough to win the conference without question. When you have guys like Spencer Brown, who's a star, and Jerry and Street and Tyler Johnson the third, no real surprises there that they're able to get the W. But yeah, my biggest takeaway from that as far as the game is one that we expect the UAB to win. But for UTEP, they just have to develop some type of passing threat because it's really affecting their entire offense as a whole. Hard to argue with that for sure. Um, with both of your points of UAB absolutely being um, – in more than good shape to win this league. And then also you have um, on the quarterback situation for UTEP, I couldn't agree more. I think when you're 0-9 or 0-8 or whatever they are, no nobody's job should be safe heading <laughs> into next year. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, and that's not to be in a mean-spirited way, but when you're clearly not getting results in the field, you got to – leave room for the next man up to be able to get the job done. You know what I mean? So I, yeah, yeah I, I agree with you for sure. Um, on the Ryan Metz and Kyle Oxley situation. And, um, maybe they'll find their guy in the off season. Cause it's not really looking like, uh, either of those guys are going to get them to a victory, uh, before the end of the year. And I say that knowing full well, I'm going to end up picking them to beat Western when eventually they get to that game. So, yeah, you know, it's it's that'll be an interesting matchup because Western, I think, has uh, – they have their own quarterback situation. Uh, they have a guy in Davis Shanley who I like a lot, but they've got all kinds of other issues. So we'll get to that one uh, soon enough. For sure. Um, speaking of Western, they tore my heart out again playing FIU 38-17. to Panthers handily beat the tops, as we all suspected, let's be honest. But James Morgan went 19 of 28 for 171 yards with three touchdowns, really continuing the trend of Morgan looking like uh, just a natural in the pocket. And then at running back also, Devontae Price had 119 yards on the ground with two touchdowns. He was impressive also. Uh, Really remarkable explosiveness on him. Um, Or maybe he was just playing Western Kentucky. I can't really tell. Uh, Just a completely dominant win by the Panthers. Um, Bright spot for WKU actually was uh, Ben Holt at linebacker with 19 total tackles. Um, But really everything else this Kentucky or this Western Kentucky football team is doing right now is just sad. So that's really all I have to say about how WKU played in this game. Yeah, Joe, you definitely sound like a despondent Western Kentucky fan. So I'm going to try to jump in here and see if I can, you know, glean some positives from this one. You know, it's, it's interesting. I was talking to uh, Kenny Kelly, who's a former Miami quarterback who does the pregame, mm-hmm. uh, pregame and the, and the uh, um, analyst role for FIU uh, as far as the radio broadcast. And one of the things he told me 
uh, shortly before he went on the air, is that he honestly feels that James Morgan has the best arm talent that he's ever seen out of a player uh, of of his age, and that's speaking saying a lot for a guy who you know played in Miami and played in some big time games in his in his uh, in his career. Uh, you can't rave about Morgan. You know, he's a guy who. Let's backtrack here for a second. When he got to FIU, he only had about 15 practices under his belt um, before starting week one versus Indiana. And I think that showed because he just looked like a completely different quarterback than the one he looks like now. The, I mean, Joe, you saw this game. You know, the confidence that Morgan moves within the pocket for a guy who isn't a runner. You know, he's 6'5", about 230. Mm-hmm. But he's just moving in the pocket to buy himself time to make plays. He's he's dangerous. And like I said last week, if he keeps up on, on the pace that he is, I think we're really going to have to examine uh, – as far as our top quarterbacks in the conference list, because I think he's right there with Mason Fine. To bring it along to this one, Joe, you know, I'm going to run this by you here because there were a couple moments in the game that I thought Western really had a chance to make this thing a tight ball game, and, and they, you know, weren't able to do anything. One, there was a 22-yard missed field goal that I know you saw hit the upright and just had to be despondent. Um, Mike Sanford went for a fake field goal, which I personally had no problem with that call, which was the the first drive of the game. You know, you're you're one and six or one and seven, whatever they were heading into that game, and yeah, why not fake it? I have no problem with that. But then, um, and Joe, you'll have to remember the kid's name. I'm it's kind of blanking on it right now. The same kid who missed the field goal, he came back and shanked the punt the next drive. Uh, That one only went about seven yards. That was a three-drive sequence for them in which they should have come with at least 10 points. Right there, you know, you can't put your team in that kind of a hole. And then a a play that I think is kind of indicative of Western Kentucky season, uh, Western had a fourth-and-one situation, which they, you know, by all means were going to go for it and kind of keep themselves in the ball game. And they had a false start. And it wasn't actually on the lineman. If you if you saw the replay of that game, the wide receiver was a little bit confused in that he needed to come in motion. I believe that receiver was Jaquez Sloan. Um, David Shanley had to call out saying, "Hey, you know, come in motion, come in motion." Mm-hmm. And that old lineman, as Brett Romberg uh, said on the on the broadcast, was probably going off a first sound, and he jumped, you know, which pushed that fourth and one back to fourth and six. Things like that, those little miscues of kind of just a kind of indicative of Western season, is it not? Yeah. Um, you talk about anything that can go wrong, uh, going wrong when you talk about FAU, and that's more or less what's going on with Western. Um, it's just mistakes everywhere you look, from the coaching staff, from the players. Um, a certain amount of it, I guess, you can blame on youth and experience. Um, even with some of the older guys in the receiving core in particular, they were uh, sitting behind people like uh, Tawan Taylor and um, – uh, Nick Norris and all those guys um, for the past couple years. So maybe they just now that they're actually having to carry some of that offense, it they're just kind of not adjusting to the pressure very well. Um, and, you know, I, I will give credit to how Davis Shanley's played and kind of some of the, just the uh, abuse isn't the right word, but he's taken some big hits uh, this year for sure. Um, you know, having to run around so much with not necessarily having the greatest protection. Although I'll admit at times that offensive line has looked slightly better than what they did last year, but you know, not much else is really coming together, obviously as they have five less wins than they did last season. But yeah, I'd say that's pretty indicative of what's going on with Western Kentucky football right now. Um, 
And it's just interesting. You look at the stat line from that game and how they were three of four on scoring in the red zone, but they only came away with 17 points. You know, when you say you're three of four in the red zone, that doesn't necessarily look bad on paper. But, you know, when they're field goals for one and then two, when you get relatively close and you have the kind of special teams miscues um, that they did. Uh, Alex Ranella was the guy you were thinking of, by the way, who's doing Thank you. All, yeah. The, yeah, all the different kicking duties for the Hilltoppers. It's just nothing short of maddening. And uh, <laughs> it's funny. To uh, Brad Stevens from the Bowling Green Daily News had a funny tweet um, just to kind of wrap things up. And it was kind of weirdly poetic. Um like the low, I forget what what the actual tweet was, but it was like the lone fan left in the upper section of Houshin Stadium lets out a long boo as the as Western Kentucky loses to FIU at the end of the night, and it was that was pretty much my response as well. Just watching that entire game was um, just in envy of what James Morgan's able to do behind that offensive line, what Devontae Price is able to do uh, when he gets the ball in his hands, and. Um, yeah, I long for the days when Western Kentucky's offense had that kind of explosiveness. And, um, yeah, it's been interesting to see Mike Sanford's body language change in pressers over the course of the last two years. And the past couple weeks especially, um, he's just been struggling more and more to find you know excuses for why his team is playing the way it is. And it's... Ah, it's, I'm wishing there was, I wish I'm wishing I had opened a better bottle of bourbon for this, but <laughs> yeah. No, just a, a quick note, just to wrap up on that game, you know, a guy who we have to talk about, um, in relation to this game, Stanley Thomas Oliver, you know, the third, he's, he's a guy who, you know, I said it on, it was either on this podcast or on another podcast. I can't remember which one. Unfortunately, I've been cheating on Joe a little bit in terms of my podcast life. Um, it's, he's, he's a guy who I, I, people get up in arms when I say this, if you look at him, six, two, six, two and a half, 185 pounds, long rangy, sneaky, athletic, former wide receiver switches to cornerback. He reminds me a lot of Richard Sherman when he was at Stanford, you know, the guy, he, he has those kind of measurables. I'm not saying he's going to be a future Hall of Famer. I'm just saying if you if you look at the play he had against Western Kentucky, you know, physical guy will come and make a hit and tackle, and, and, and he had the pick to seal it. You know, if they get that kind of play out of their defense, FIU is, is really a threat to win the conference. That's, you know, that's my final thought on that game. That, uh, that's a good way to wrap it up, honestly. Um, we've both said all we can say, covering our respective teams. But – to kind of bridge the recap and the preview section of the show, um, I thought it'd be an interesting idea to kind of go over our picks for uh, offensive, defensive, and special teams player of the year now that we are just past the midway point of the season. Uh, our editor, Cyrus Smith, kind of put his picks for all of the uh, midseason awards on UDD, so go check that out. But I thought that'd be a good jumping off point just to kind of go over those three things. Um on this episode. So Eric, who are your picks for offensive, defensive and special teams player of the year in conference USA? Now that we're past the midway point of the season. Yeah. Just, you know, the kind of pickup where we were as far as uh, conference player of the year, offense, defense, and special teams. Uh, I know I saw that Cyrus did go with um, Devin Singletary. I'm going to go and go with Mason fine. Uh, I, I think, 
you know, everything he's done with the Mean Green offense, you know, their record and the fact that they had that slip up earlier in the year, none of that was was his fault. So I'm still a Mason Fine guy. That's what I picked in the beginning of the season, so I'm sticking with that. Defensively, uh, I'm going with Jalen Ferguson, but I'm a little want to show a little bit of love to Juwan Foggy because I mean his six picks is leading the the conference, and as it's kind of something you'd expect when a former wide receiver flips over to to linebacker and, and plays well. So he's having a nice season, but I'm going to go with Jalen Ferguson. And as far as special teams, I've got three names here that I'm going to throw out at you because I'm kind of torn on all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Karis White Jr., who's having a great year on kick returns. Jared Sackett, who I think is having a good year um, from the kicking position. Mm-hmm. And how about Maurice Alexander, who I, I think is, is the most dynamic return man in all of Conference USA. Unfortunately for him with FIU, he only handles the punt return duties. But when he does, he's just a dangerous guy back there. So those are three names that I want to throw out as far as special teams player of the year. Fair enough. Um, I agree with you on the first two, actually. So I also believe Mason finds the offensive player of the year at this point. Uh, 2,800 passing yards, 21 passing touchdowns. Here's the remarkable thing. And throughout all of what that North Texas offense has accomplished this year, throughout all of Mason Fine's individual stats, he's only thrown one interception. That's pretty right. crazy to me. He's he, This kid is the real deal, if you haven't figured that out already. Um, and then on defense, I'm also going to go with Jalen Ferguson. I don't think there's been a guy more dominant on the line of scrimmage this season. Uh, ten and a half sacks on the year, leads the league. Uh, like we mentioned earlier in the show, broke the program record and the Conference USA record for career sacks. This kid is a difference maker on that tech defense, boosting his NFL resume in a big way. And um, honestly, pretty reminiscent of what Marcus Davenport was able to do at UTSA. And now a kind of an impact player for the Saints defense, uh, if anybody in our audience pays attention to the NFL anymore. Um, and then on special teams, um, my pick there is Jack Fox, actually. So 19 punts of 50 yards or more on the year so far, 22 inside the 20-yard line, and he can kick field goals, uh, 5 of 10 on field goals, which isn't great, but anytime you have a guy like that who can um, you know, improve, get you those hidden yards uh, in the special teams game and uh, put your defense in a better position to succeed, even if they don't always do that, but... If you have a guy like Fox who's doing that as consistently as he can, and then um, just skilled at other positions as well, um, I think he's probably the biggest impact guy within special teams so far. Um, but just as a punt, as far as punters go, how annoying must it be to be Yanni Routzis from UTSA right now? Because he is also having a really stellar year and uh, showing what he can do, but he's also in the same division is Jack Fox. That's got to be kind of frustrating. <laughs> yeah, it, it has to be. And, and, you know, a guy who we haven't talked about, and here's probably the reason why I wasn't more leaning to Jack Fox. Mm. Um, I don't want to, you know, upset uh, <laughs> the fans there. But uh, in, term, in terms of punters, I'm a Stone Wilson guy. I, I think Stone is all right i'll say it i think stone is far away the best punter in the conference i think he's the most talented punter in the conference and he just doesn't get as many opportunities to show his leg because he's playing on a a team that's you know playing really well and converting a lot of chances and he's not getting uh, a lot of punting opportunities but when he does uh, i think he does a phenomenal job so that's kind of why i i was more lenient towards uh a jared sackett or maybe a carol white jr because i think that stone wilson is the best punter in conference usa interesting are we are we about to have some punter drama? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I mean, like, I, I don't want to start with any punter drama, but I, I just and you know, 
I'm probably unbiased because I I see Stone, you know, every uh, every home game and and you know a couple of road games as well. Uh, the kid just really, I mean, he has a boot. I think he's going to be a great NFL punter. So uh, that's that's my own bias coming out there. And interestingly enough, um, Cyrus actually took Jose Borregales. Uh, if you need to check out the the article on the website, so I thought that was interesting. So clearly, you know, no uh, no consensus here from the underdog dynasty crew as far as special teams player of the year, huh? For sure. Um, a little bit of interesting trivia. Um, without looking, can you tell me who leads the Conference USA in average punt yards, like yards per punt? I'm gonna say Jack Fox. Chris Robinson. You know what? Damn it, I, Joe. Joe. Okay. First off, <laughs> you know, the reason the reason why I said damn it is because I saw three of those damn quick kicks at UCF, in which you got giant rolls. But okay, you know, of, of non qualifiers, Joe. Yes, you're you're that guy, Chris Robinson. Yes, would, would lead would lead to USA, and I saw those live. So nice, uh, nice caveat there. Yeah, he's only had four punts this year. Um, all of them went inside the 20 and three of them went for 50 plus yards. So <laughs> I, I would say Chris Robinson can retire from punting with that kind of average right now. There you go. Exactly. Mm. Oh gosh. So that's a fun little debate we had there. Um, you know, if you had, if you disagree with this, let us know in the comments, who are your picks for those mid season awards and conference USA? Um, I guess then we'll just move on to the previews for this week. As we look ahead, so we have Western Kentucky and Middle Tennessee in the 100 Miles of Hate game, um, as Mike Sanford called it about eight times in his uh, in his presser, which, yeah, I know that's the official name, but it was just funny how many times he kept saying it as he was kind of stumbling over himself. Um, but we'll see that game at 5 p.m. on Friday, November 2nd, on CBS Sports Network. Um, Middle Tennessee... Their offense has been really pleasantly surprising this year. Uh, and then, obviously, their defense is making some great plays, too. Uh, we saw that with the 100-yard pick six last week. Um, so I'm taking them. I think they are going to win that one uh, fairly handily. Um, they're favored by 13.5 on this one, and I'm going to say they win by 21. All right, we spent a lot of time in the game recaps, you know, shilling for our respective teams and, and debating uh, Conference USA punters. So I'm going to try to speed through this a little bit. Uh, for MTSU, you know, they really need this one against a struggling Western team. You know, win would make them bowl eligible. Uh, for for Western, let's see what the key situation is like. Uh, something we did touch on is that David Shanley did. It was clear that he had a concussion or some type of head injury. Let me not, you know, say I'm a doctor. He had some type of head injury against FIU, so we'll see what that uh, is going into that game. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, I like Middle Tennessee State to take this one. Brent Stock still you know, is going to have an opportunity to get the offense rolling early, uh, and I just think they keep it going, so they'll pick up the win. Yeah. Um, from what I, Just a note on Davis Shanley. From what I saw in the conference, um, or in the presser, I should say, it looks like Western Kentucky's medical staff uh, did clear him to come back in that game, but they just ended up rolling with um, Stephen Duncan. So uh, okay. good, good to hear he's in good health. Never want anybody to get a concussion. Um, so with that, we'll move on to the next game since we both think Middle Tennessee will take that game on uh, Saturday at uh, – 3 p.m. Eastern time, we got Marshall heading to Southern Miss. Um, I'm going to take Marshall in this game. I think that offense has been simply more dependable than what Southern Miss 
has been able to show so far. Um, I think Tyler King's a great running back, and I just think they're a little more deep at the skill position uh, spots right now. And um, Jack Abraham, while when he's on, he's absolutely on. When he's off, it's it's a little rough to watch. So uh, give me the thundering herd by, uh, by 14. Okay, by, by two scores. Okay, my pick is Marshall as well. I, I don't think it'll be by being. I don't think it'll be by two scores. I think it'll be by about a touchdown. Um, Tyler King, as you mentioned, he's a phenomenal running back. I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do against the uh, Southern Miss defense that performs reasonably well against the run. Um, Jack Abraham, we've mentioned what he needs to do. You know, he's got to protect the football, and we know that guys like Quez Watkins and Trevensky Mosley they have to step up and play well for Southern Miss to have a shot. If they're going to make a bowl game, it's now or never. So, will the real Golden Eagles please stand up? As Joe mentioned before maybe this is the real golden eagles that we're seeing um i guess we'll find out after this contest because like i said you know at three and four they're really clinging on to their bowl hopes by a thread uh but i think i think that marshall will take this one and, and they'll just keep rolling straight into that showdown against fiu for the east division title in the final week of the season divisional race is heating up uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out down the stretch here and then meanwhile in texas at uh 2 30 local time we'll have utep heading to houston to face rice uh that you can catch that one on espn3 i'm picking rice here i think um they're just a little bit more well equipped to handle this game right now um i think that rushing game of theirs is going to come through big um, when we saw what UAB was able to do to Rice when they have the upper hand in the rushing game. So um, definitely think the Owls are going to take care of business. And uh, as far as the score prediction goes, uh, I don't. I think it's going to be relatively close. I'll say they win by 10. Okay, you know, for, for Rice, I, I actually think they're going to win this one pretty handily just because, you know, they've been right on the verge of playing a solid four quarters of football, which is something that's been the story of their season all year long. You know, playing two quarters, playing three quarters, playing tough, but just can't, you know, really kind of turn that into a W. For the Rice, uh, for, for the Owls, the quarterback situation is going to be key. Who goes? Either way, I think they'll be in good hands, whether it's um, a Wiley Green or Evan Marshman. I believe it's going to be Green, but we'll see about that as a game time decision. For UTEP, we've you know belabored about their offense and the struggles they've had. You know we've got to see more out of Kyle Oxley if, if he's going to be the guy. Um, for for Rice, another thing is the run game. You know Emmanuel Supa and and Austin Walter, their guys were very capable on the ground. I think Rice wins, and I think they do it fairly easily because, like I said, they've been poised to kind of get that W the past few weeks. Uh, I think they'll win by twenty one. All right. Uh, so we have Charlotte heading to Knoxville to face Tennessee. That's going to be at 4 p.m. local time. Um, I'm not sure this is going to be on TV, which is kind of surprising. Um, I understand that uh, the Volunteers are favored pretty heavily in this one. Uh, 21.5 points is the current spread, I think. So I think Middle Tennessee is going to be – or not Middle Tennessee, just regular Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> Um, regular, regular old Tennessee, Tennessee which it should yeah, be their guys. actual university name, just regular old Tennessee. Um, I think they'll they'll cover that spread. I think um, what Charlotte's been able to do this year has been pleasantly surprising. I don't think they're necessarily in uh, in shape to upset an SEC team. So. All right, yeah, I'm going to push back a little bit here and just uh, quickly note here, you know, we don't want SEC fans to jump in our mentions. That game will be on the SEC network, so it will actually be on t- on TV. You know, uh, yeah. it's 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 one of those uh, those rare ones that you know you kind of wonder if it's going to be televised or not. But yeah, the SEC network does have backup coverage on that one. Um, I know on paper this is a money game for the Niners, 
but you know this isn't the the volunteers of the Peyton Manning, T. Martin, Philip Fulmer days. Um, and quite frankly, uh, I think I have to you know take my medicine here. I've stopped dismissing Charlotte as a walkover. I, I think they've earned that by their play. Benny LeMay has to have a big game, and I think he will. Can guys like Juwan Foggy and Ben DeLuca rise to the occasion? Uh, that will be the question. I think Charlotte is going to be in this game the entire way. I'm taking Tennessee to win by a field goal, but I think Charlotte has a fair chance to pull off the upset, to be honest. Okay. Uh, I was trying to find how uh, how much money the 49ers are actually getting to go to Knoxville, and I'm not able to find it. But I'm assuming it's a hefty paycheck. So if they are able to go in and get the win and the money, that would be fantastic for what the program has been able to do so far. Um, so – Maybe we see that. Maybe we don't. Should be a good game on the SEC Network. At uh, 7.30 Eastern time, Louisiana Tech facing Southern or, uh, Mississippi State on the road, a ranked Mississippi State team, no less. And that one will also be on the SEC Network. Um, taking the Bulldogs in this one, or the Mississippi State Bulldogs, as I realize they're both the same mascot, just to confuse me. Um yeah, I think regardless of how well Tech's been playing so far, um, this is a very good Mississippi State team. Nick Fitzgerald um, has been good in spots, um, I think, uh, especially in the running game. So I think what he is able to do with his legs, with his arm, I think that's going to be a little bit too much for uh, Tech's secondary. Um, but I do think we're going to see um, – Jalen Ferguson boost his NFL resume a little bit and win a lot of those one-on-ones along the line of scrimmage. Yeah, the reason I, I giggled really quick when you said Bulldogs is I specifically outlined it in my notes, do not say Bulldogs. They both have the same mascot. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, <clears throat> Jalen Ferguson, That's it's a note that, that you mentioned and I have it here in my notes as well. I think he really has a chance to boost his NFL draft resume because I think, you know, playing against that SEC quali- uh, excuse me, SEC caliber talent, uh, I think will, you know, do a, a wonders for as far as his draft status and, and kind of showing that he's a quality player. For Tech, you know, if they're going to win, it's going to take all of their stars to show up. Um, we know who they are. Ferguson, Dan C.J., Mar Smith, etc. Uh, Nick Fitzgerald, as you mentioned, he's not going to kill you through the air, but he's a phenomenal dual threat. I think there's a formula for Tech to win this game, which is to force some early punts and run the football and keep the chains moving. Once again, this is another one I'm torn on because, you know, I we're G5 guys. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, they're playing Mississippi State or playing Tennessee and just bow out to the altar of the SEC. Quite frankly, those are two middle-of-the-pack SEC teams right now. But I do think that uh, Mississippi State will be too much in the end. I think we're in agreement on that. Um, as we, as I realize how uncreative most college football teams are with uh, the bulldog name, but oh well. FAU and FIU in the Shoe Bowl, seven thirty Eastern Time. Uh, not sure what the TV situation is for this game. I'm sure it'll be somewhere. Um, but I'm taking FIU in this game. I think what uh, James Morgan and company have been able to do thus far is. Um, Really impressive given how high the expectations were for FAU this year uh, and then how FIU have uh, just really been in the driver's seat in the East all year. Um, They're favored by three and a half in this game, but uh, I I say they're going to win by ten. So. All right, you may have to edit this out as well. Um, I'm not in my podcast location. I'm doing it from my friend's house. The the signal went out for about 80% of what you said, Um, so I'm just going to pick up from right where you left off. Okay. 
right. Yeah, Joe. So, you know, what I have here as far as FIU and FAU, you know, the Shula Bowl, you want to talk about two teams that are just going in opposite directions. You know, FIU is really surging here. And for the Owls, you know, like I said earlier, their season just really careening straight to the Atlantic Ocean uh, off the coast of Boca. Uh, you know, this one should be really intriguing if you're a CUSA fan. Why, do you ask? The Panther run defense is getting better, but Coach Davis has said repeatedly in post games that it's still a work in progress. And guess what? They're going to face two of the conference's most capable backs in Devin Singletary and Kareth White. Um, we're talking about a Panther run defense that gave up almost 100 yards in the first half to FCS Arkansas Pine Bluff. And this ain't Pine Bluff. You know, these are two guys who can really get the job done. Um, they can keep James Morgan and dangerous FIU offense off the field. The key for this game, in my opinion, is going to be what can FAU get out of the quarterback position? Whoever starts just can't turn the football over. That could be DeAndre Johnson. That could be Chris Robson. That could be Rafi Peavy. It doesn't matter. They just have to protect the football. It's not even as much about them making plays as them not turning the football over and giving the FIU offense as many chances to put the ball in the end zone. Uh, if they're able to do that, I think this one will be a close game. Uh, but I've got the Panthers at home. Uh Going to take them by about a touchdown. I don't think this one gets too out of hand. Um, I think there's a form of this one to be a close game, but I think FIU keeps it going. For sure. I think this is going to be our game of the week, uh, just given the uh, implications for CUSA East and um, really what that, how frustrating that loss would be for FIU. And, uh, I, you know, if FAU and that running game are able to come together, though, I, it's going to be a really entertaining game. And then to cap it all off, we have UAB going for their eighth win with UTSA in town. Um, pretty sure the Blazers are going to be able to take care of business. That one will be at 6.30 local time in Birmingham. Uh, sparse TV details, unfortunately, at the moment. But Blazers favored by 22, uh, considering what UTSA's offense has been able to do. I think that's fair. Um, but I, I think it's going to be a little bit less than that just because uh, we're going to see UAB get the ball and hold the ball and then you know pound it out on the ground, especially if A.J. Early can't go. So uh, I would think the Blazers are going to win this one, give it to them by like 17. Yeah, I mean, you got to expect that out of UAB. You know, we know that they're going to keep it going. They have all the talent to get it done on the ground. Uh, UTSA's defense is not a pushover. You know, we know that. They're, they're a defense that we've talked about on this podcast. If they had any consistency out of the quarterback position uh, from, you know, Cordell Grundy or whoever's going to be behind court, behind center, uh, they may even be a bowl game, a bowl team because they're that talented. Uh, for UAB, A.J. Early just needs to play up to his standards. You know, no turnovers. Uh, UTSA has to get something from their quarterback to try to make this one close. But I think UAB will win. Um, it, I think it'll be a close game because they don't have the Blazer offense isn't the type that's going to completely just blow you out of the water within you know a quarter or a half. They're a really efficient offense. They get the job done, ground and pound. Um, whether that's with their trio of backs or with Hurley, but I think UAB will cover the spread, win by 21 points. And just really quick on the TV notes, uh, this one only because I saw the commercial about 60 times as I was watching the FIU game last week will be on BN Sports. Uh, I see. Um... So there's, uh, I, I, you know, when you go through this list, it feels like any time, because uh, I, I kind of pull some of these lists off of uh, ESPN, and it feels like any time uh, there's not a game on an ESPN network, they like hide those details from you, which is frustrating. <laughs> Uh, forgive me joe for taking this pot shot I, I, I can't i can't resist it um do you really have to work that hard to hide a game on bn sports that's fair <laughs> unfortunately it's fair so. and 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 the dangerous thing for that is bn sports is based out of miami's so next thing i know i'm gonna have their crew hunting me down at fiu stadium on saturday <laughs> 
Oh, our good friend, our good friend Jeremy St. Louis will sneak up behind you with a blow dart or something like that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh no. Um, yeah. So we went ahead and wrapped up the. CUSA previews for this week should be interesting to see what happens, especially now that we're getting down to the wire with uh, the CUSA race in particular, and uh, we'll see if UAB can close it out and wrap up the West. Um, so with that, we'll go ahead and end the show here. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Um, if you like the show, please consider subscribing on iTunes and leaving a review. It certainly helps the show grow a lot. Follow at Underdog Dynasty on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and check out the site every single day for more G5 football goodness. Um, you can follow us on Twitter also, if you feel so inclined, at, at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore. Eric is at Eric C. Henry underscore. Uh, come converse with us about college football is uh, what I have written down in the script, but let's be honest, you're just going to yell at us. Um, with that, I'll say have a great day. Happy football watching. Um, see you later.